0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Song of Songs. Some of you may have called it Song of Solomon growing up, but Song of Songs, the eighth chapter. And this morning, we're going to finish our series on fireproofing your marriage and uh, fireproofing your relationships. And this morning, we're going to conclude with what many scholars consider to be the epitome or the highest point, and especially this book, but perhaps in the entire Bible, of a relationship between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. You know, our culture is infatuated with love. We've talked about popular songs before, but if you just look at songs that have the word love in their title, you get a grasp of how much our culture thinks of it there's you can't buy me love all we need is love endless love can't help falling in love and even the classic love is a battlefield right and as i watch television and listen to radio i can't help but feel that what we've talked about over the last several weeks and what the bible teaches us about love makes us feel as if we're swimming upstream. That we're constantly going against the flow. You turn on television and a relationship between a husband and a wife that are faithful to each other is very, very rare. You listen to the radio and rarely are those songs written by people who are in a relationship between a husband and a wife that are committed to one another. Even television shows that help people find love today seem to get it all wrong. A few weeks ago, much of the country was outraged when a particular young man on a television show told one girl that he loved her and then dumped her for the girl that he thought he loved before that. And the whole show's premise was, and I don't know the exact numbers, but somewhere around 20 to 25 women all come together in one spot for a guy to pick out the one that he thinks he can spend the rest of his life with. That's not exactly how Scripture teaches us to go about it. And today what I want to ask, and the question that I want to look into as we look in the book of Song of Songs, is I want to ask the question, how do you build a love that lasts? How do you build a love that lasts? And in the book of Song of Songs, we have this description of a relationship between a husband and a wife. And I'm going to dare to say that many of you in this room haven't read Song of Songs lately. Part of the reason is, it's kind of tucked away in there among the Psalms and the Proverbs. Part of the reason is, it's one of the most controversial books in Scripture. Part of the reason is, For some of you, it's just a difficult book to read. But in the midst of Song of Songs is this beautiful picture of a husband and a wife that love each other. And you get to chapter 8, and it's at the conclusion of the book that the lady begins to defend her marriage among her friends. And in chapter 8, starting in verse 4, it reads, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Who is this coming up from the desert, leaning on her lover? Under the apple tree I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There she, who was in labor, gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. In this little passage, what we have here is a description, first of all, of what love ought to look like. And we started with an interesting verse, and this is going to be free for you. It's not going to be uh, listed where you can fill it in in the notes, but it's something that you must understand. And that is, for love to last, it must begin in the right way with the right person at the right time. And in verse 4, for the third time in this book, she looks at her friends and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't awaken or arouse love before it's ready. Now. What's interesting about that is it seems that as she was there telling this story, this love relationship between her and her husband, the people that were around her were women who were not yet married. And as they were sitting there, I can imagine them asking her questions. And one of the questions that they asked her was, Is it worth it? Is it worth it? You, You waited and you found this man. And now that you're in your relationship... Is it worth it? She's looking around at these women who are asking her, wanting questions to her about what kind of relationship she has, and they say, listen, we're going to do everything we can to keep ourselves pure and chaste and prepared for marriage, but we must know, is it worth it? Let me speak for just a minute to those of you in the room who aren't married. There's some of you that have been married and are no longer married, either because of divorce or because of your loved one passing on. And I know that at times these series of sermons on love and marriage may have been difficult for you. What I would encourage you is to continually seek your comfort in the Lord. What she would say to these women is listen. It is worth it, but it is only worth it at the right time in the right way. Some of you that have lost your loved ones, you know that you had a great, amazing relationship and you would echo the same thing. It is worth it. But the point of what she's saying here is that it's not worth it unless it's the right place at the right time with the right person. Those of you that are married, let me tell you something that's very important to your relationship. And that is to constantly remember how God brought you together. Constantly remember how God brought you together. Now some of you have pretty amazing stories. Some of you have stories about the fact that uh, you met each other and the first time you met, you knew this was the person God intended for you to be with the rest of your life. Some of you may think, I don't have a good story at all. We just kind of fell into it. Now, don't admit that right now, all right? But I believe just as God created Adam and Eve for each other, that when you come into a marriage relationship and it says that the two became one, whatever circumstances were used, that God can transform those circumstances into a wonderful experience for Him. Whenever I'm counseling with couples that are getting married and I've told you this, I have them write down their story. I have them write it down. Put it somewhere where they will remember it. Some of you need to go home this afternoon and write down your story. Because the truth is, as time goes, we forget the details. How many of you out there, your forgetter is getting better? Let me see his hand. Some of you forgot to raise your hand. That's all right. I know I'm only 33 years old, but my forgetter is getting better. I seem to forget things quite regularly now. And if we're not careful, we'll forget those moments at the beginning of our relationship when God really cemented us together. You know, Susan and I can look back in an interesting way that God brought us together. We were best friends, really good friends, before we ever thought about being together romantically. Some of you can remember your first date with somebody. Susan and I just kind of were friends that decided that God had brought us together. And I can tell you, The moment I knew that God had brought Susan in my life to be the woman that I would marry. And we know that God has brought us together. So when times get difficult or things happen, then what happens is we can go back and say, I know it seems tough right now, but we are sure God has brought us together. People ask me sometimes, well, how will I know when it's right to get married? I remember growing up, I asked somebody that, and they said, well, you'll just know when you know. And I said, that's not very helpful, all right? This is how you can know, is when you know that God has established that relationship. And so that's what she does here. She says, listen, don't awaken it before it desires. And then she talks about this apple tree. That doesn't mean anything to us, really. But in their day and time, the apple tree would have been like a courting tree. Now, that's a little old term there, but it would have been the place where they met, the place where they courted, the place where they talked. You realize that in ancient Jerusalem, ancient Israel, they didn't have places to cruise around in cars. They didn't have movie theaters or malls or places to go get a bite to eat. So they gathered under the apple tree. She says, is that where I met you? And we remember that on a constant basis. And then she goes in verse 6 in the seven characteristics of love. In your handout, you've only got room for six. You'll make room for a seventh at the end. But here's the test that I want you to apply to see if your love is a love that will last. First of all, love that lasts is personal. It says in verse 6, place me like a seal over your heart. Now, in their day and time, a seal was a treasured. You put that only on a treasured possession. Most of the time, the seal was in a signet ring that when you walked into someone to say that it was you and only you, you would press that ring into wax and they would seal it in a place. What people knew by that was that it was your possession. It was yours. It was personally Yours. It was kind of like your uh, credit card, your driver's license, your social security number, all wrapped up into one thing. And so whenever you walked in and you put your seal on something, you were saying that I am personally taking claim and responsibility for this. I thought about this uh, in a tradition that was in my high school. When I was growing up in my high school, there was this kind of tradition that when a girl and a guy were going together, that's the phrase we use, when they were dating, that she would wear his class ring. Anybody anybody else have that in your high school? Right. What was always funny about that is the guy's class ring was always way too big, right? Right? Are you with me this morning? You're just looking at me, all right? Just way too big. And so you'd have padding, you'd have string, you'd, you know, you'd You'd walk by, but the reason she wore the ring was to let everybody know that she was personally dating him. It was kind of a precursor to the wedding ring, right? Now, I wear a wedding ring because I'm married and because I want people to know that I'm married. And it is a personal ring given to me by Susan that lets people know that I am attached to her. It is a seal On my finger. And you remember why you wear it on your left hand, fourth finger. you know? It's It's not scriptural. It comes from the Romans. And they thought that there was a vein that went directly from your fourth finger to your heart. And so it is a sign that on that finger, you were saying that they have been implanted on my heart. Now here's what that means for us. You have to have a personal interest in your spouse and display it for others to see. Think about these questions real quickly that can show the personal nature of your relationship. How often do you show affection for your spouse? How often do you laugh at jokes with your spouse? How often do you say something nice to him or to her? How often do you say something nice about him or her in front of other people? How often do you have moments of intimacy together? How playful are you with each other? How often do you look into each other's eyes while you're talking? How often do you surprise each other with something? How often do you say please? And how often do you say I'm sorry? The truth is, one of the dangers in a marital relationship is the longer you're together, the less personal it becomes. You ever heard somebody say that after 10, 15, 20 years of marriage, it feels like we're just living under the same roof, sharing bills? They don't look each other in the eye anymore. They don't talk each other about things. The things that brought them together, they no longer do. They don't laugh together. They don't cry together. They don't enjoy life together. Love that lasts is first of all personal. Here's the second thing love that lasts is not only personal, but it's protective. She says, Place me like a seal over your heart. It's a personal thing. But then it says, and like a seal on your arm. The idea that in their day and time, the arm represented strength, it represented security. And what she's saying is, not only put me on your heart where it's personal, but make sure that you take care of me. And a relationship that's going to last is a one where people feel secure, where the husband and the wife both feel secure. And the way that that works itself out is that they are protective of one another. That they take care of one another. But more than that, it becomes an us against them whenever they are attacked. There are times in any marital relationship where there are going to be disputes, discussions. And sometimes the discussions get louder than maybe they should. And sometimes discussions are heated. But the truth is the sign of a marriage that lasts is one that when you're in the public... Those discussions, those disputes don't manifest themselves in front of others because you're protecting that relationship. A relationship that lasts is one where you fight for and not always with each other. You know, the, uh, the news has been kind of uh, overflowing lately with the details of a particular relationship that turned violent in our pop culture grid. Two R&B singers that were dating got mad at each other, and it turned into her, a girl named Rihanna, getting hit and abused to the point where the guy, Chris Brown, was arrested. And in the newspapers and in the media, there's been discussion all over the place about what happened and who caused it and what was going wrong and all of these kind of things. And this is all I know, is that Scripture teaches that a love relationship that is of the Lord never ends like that. Ever. Because a person that is taking care of the relationship is going to be protective of the relationship and of that person. I'll just be real honest with you. People can write me nasty notes all day long if they want to. They can criticize me for the way I preach or the way I live or the way I lead, it doesn't bother me that much. It bothers us a little, amen? I mean, it just does. But the moment someone writes anything or says anything about my family, I'm done. That's how it's supposed to be. Now, I'm not saying I'm done and I'm going to do something drastic and violent. I'm just saying that it's a whole different game. And what you need to realize is that Scripture teaches that the kind of love that lasts is by nature protective. Let me just give you one little caution here. Be careful with your words in public. Have you ever known a couple that constantly get on each other in public? That constantly rag each other in public? That rib each other in public? That tell those little jokes about each other in public? Sarcastic or not, there's just a little bit of jesting there. The truth is, while that may seem funny in the moment, what eventually happens is you create divisions in the relationship. Be very careful how you speak about your spouse in public. Love that lasts is personal and protective. Secondly, love that lasts is Powerful. Look what it says. And this is a strange, strange metaphor. For love is as strong as, what's the word there? Death. For our love is just like death. Now, that's not what you generally want to hear. Amen? I mean, if your husband came home to you wives and said, I want to tell you one thing, our love is just like death. That would be a happy day, wouldn't it? But what do you mean by that? I mean it is death. So what does he mean here? Well, to them, the strongest thing imaginable was death. They had never seen anybody come back from the dead. In fact, I only know of one person that's ever come back for good from the dead, right? I mean, Scripture has some other resuscitations, right? Lazarus is resuscitated. Jairus' daughter is resuscitated. But what happens to them eventually? They die. If you take Jesus out of the equation, which we generally don't want to do, but if you took Jesus out of the equation, how many people have stood death in the face and won? Zero. You may have prolonged death, but death is still coming. And the truth is, for all of us in this room... Physical death that the Lord tarries His coming is in our future. Congratulations. Death was strong. 1 Corinthians 15. A couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about Easter. And in Easter, there'll be sermons all across this land talking about 1 Corinthians 15. And they talk about it because it's there that Paul admits that Christ, in His resurrection, defeated the last enemy. The greatest enemy. And he says, where, O death, is your sting? Here's the truth. Without Christ, death has major sting. But he says in this passage of Scripture, the point is that death, there is nothing that can break it. And because of that, our love is like that. It is strong. It's not tenuous or frail. It's not fragile. It's not Kind of strong. It is strong. It's one of those things that even if people were to ram into it, it would hold firm. I don't know whether you know this or not, but our church was hit by a vehicle this week. You can't tell because the building's pretty solid, right? Let me just give you a little piece of advice. Building versus car, building wins, all right? But they saw the car and it was completely smashed up but the building is solid. And there are going to be times, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute, when there will be things in your life that will try to bust up the marriage. And you have to say at the beginning, our love is strong. It is powerful. So love that lasts is as strong as death. Here's the fourth thing. It is also not only powerful, It is possessive. Let me tell you, there is some jealousy that is wrong. There's a jealousy that distrusts and mistrusts and always thinks you're guilty until proven innocent. And that kind of jealousy is wrong. But let me also tell you this, that every good marriage has jealousy. Every good marriage has jealousy. Why? Why? Because just as our God is jealous over what is His, so our relationship ought to be jealous over what He's given us. You realize God's a jealous God, amen? Exodus thirty-four, fourteen says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Now, just in case we missed it there, it tells us His name is Jealous and He is a Jealous God. Now, we've just taken jealousy and means it bad. But the truth is, jealousy just means that when you have something that is rightfully yours, that you don't want to give it to somebody else. It says like this in verse 6, love is as strong as death. It's jealousy. Or it's fervor is unyielding as the grave. It's the point that you want it to be a relationship that is just about You and that person. I read an account this week of a man who got in trouble because he had an accountability partner that was a woman. And they met together on a regular basis and shared their deep spiritual needs. And they would pray with one another. And it was a very emotionally intimate relationship. And when he finally got himself in trouble, he said, I never saw it coming. And my thought was, that's got to be one of the dumbest guys I've ever met. There ought to be some jealousy in your relationship. Does that mean you can't have female friends or male friends? Well, I think it's very difficult outside of a relationship that you, ha- you and your wife have with those people. Susan and I have friends that are couples. I have lots of good guy friends. But my closest friend is Her. And after that, it's only guys that are close. And the truth is, that's the way God intended it. Imagine for a minute if Susan came home one afternoon and just said, hey, Lyle, can you watch the kids this afternoon? Hank and I are going out for a little bit. I said, I'd like to have a little discussion with Hank first, right? That's not going to happen. Or imagine if... And it works the same way. And I'll I'll tell you that that the place that, that ministers get themselves in trouble is counseling and talking with and ministering to people of the opposite sex. Put some things in your life that help to make sure that you're not, that you're not giving in to that desire to see if the grass is greener. It's possessive. In our day and time, it's more important than ever to have those kind of boundaries. Stories are starting to come out about friends reconnecting through Facebook and MySpace that knew each other in high school and had a a, a certain friendship together. And they hid from their spouses that they were reconnecting in that way. And they go down that slippery slope. Jealousy within the confines of a marriage, as long as it is positive jealousy, it's perfectly okay. Here's the next thing. Love that lasts is not only powerful and possessive, but it is also passionate. Verse 8 says this It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Some of you thought Johnny Cash came up with the idea about a ring of fire, right? That's where it is right here. The point here is that whenever you're into a relationship that lasts, that it will be intense, that it will be consuming, that it will be something that takes your time and energy. It is work. It is something that you have to invest in. It is something that you must give yourself to. It is something you must be passionate about. It is something that you cannot think about other things sometimes. It is solely and importantly about that relationship. It's passionate. And it's not conjured up passion, and it's not momentary passion, and it's not fleeting passion. It's something that stirs within you on a regular, continual basis. It's passion. And it's not the passion that our world tries to tell us it ought to be, it's a passion. For the other person to grow and to be a better person and to see them extend themselves into the place that God intends for them to be. It is cheering for them. It is encouraging them. It is supporting them. It is giving them everything they need to succeed in life because you care so much about them that you want them to do well. It is a passionate thing. It's not only passionate, but it's persistent. Verse 7 says, many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot wash it away. The truth is that in any relationship that is worth anything, there will come moments when it will seem like you ought to get out. As I've said before, oftentimes people <laughs> are driven away by the very things that first attracted them to each other. I read that this, this, this week, somebody wrote, he married her because she was so fragile and petite He wants to divorce her because she's weak and helpless. She married him because he knows how to provide a good living. She divorces him because all he thinks about is his business. He remarried her because she reminds me of my mother. He divorces her because she's getting more like her mother every day. She married him because he was happy and romantic. She divorced him because he was shiftless and fun-loving. He married her because she was steady and sensible. He's thinking of divorce because she's boring and dull. She married him because he was the life of the party. She is thinking of divorcing him because he's always at the party. The truth is that no matter how strong it is at the beginning, no matter how strong it is at times, there will be moments when you have to just say, we are in it for the long haul. We are going to be persistent. Look what it says there. It says, many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. The idea is that there will be many things in your life, like the continual rain from a soaking rain that will continually try to wash away what's happening in your marriage. But you have to constantly say, we will not give in. Did you know that most marriages end before the seventh year? Those that end end before the seventh year. And so if you're here and you've been married less than seven years, let me ask you to put a stake in the ground at year seven and say no matter what else happens, we will make it to year seven. Did you know that studies show that marriages, it takes nine to 14 years for the marriage to turn from two people being selfish into two people being servants. Now some of you say, I've been married 25 years, we're still waiting, all right? It takes 9 to 14 years before it turns into that. And the truth is, what happens is, people get out before they get to the good stuff. I heard somebody this week compare it to this. He said, it's kind of like people that go to junior high and hate junior high, so they quit junior high to start junior high all over with again. Because when you're married and you get out of the marriage, and then you get back into a marriage, you're starting back at the bad part again. I know that sounds real encouraging the first few years are bad part but compared to what God will do when you persevere, it is the bad part. God blesses those that persevere and so you've just got to keep going you just got to get through it one of you get sick you just get through it you have a baby that won't sleep for more than two hours at a time you've just get through it. You have tragedy that happens in your life. You just get through it. You have financial downfall that takes you to a place where you can't afford anything. You just get through it. Your kids run away from you. They do things that you couldn't imagine in any way that would be positive. And yet you just get through it. It seems that no longer can you communicate like you used to. You just get through it. And you persevere. Because at the end of it, you have the last thing that she's going to say. Make a place at the bottom to write this. Love is priceless. Verse 7 says this at the end. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. I started talking about the world's kind of ideas about love and there was one song in there that got it right and that is you can't buy me love. There are a lot of things in this world you can buy. You have a lot of people that say, I've heard statements like you can't buy happiness, but it sure helps as a down payment. You can talk about the things that you can buy in this world and even with the economy that's going down the tubes, it seems like, that we still are concerned with those things in life that we can buy. Let me tell you, one thing you cannot buy is love. Not because the price is too high, because there is no price. In fact, love cannot be bought. It can only be given. That's it. Love cannot be bought. It can only be given. But here's the second part of that message. is that when you have a love that is possessive, and persevering, and protective, and personal, you get to the end and you realize that it is the most rewarding thing you can experience on this earth. Let me just tell you, there have been a lot of things in my life that I've experienced that have been great. There are a lot of things in my life that bring me ultimate satisfaction. This summer, we've got 27 people. We're going to Brazil. And I'm going to tell you, that week and a half will be an unbelievable time for me. Every Sunday morning that I get to stand in front of you and open up the Word of God, it is exhilarating because it is exactly what God has made me for. But there is nothing in my life that is as fulfilling as my relationship with my wife. No earthly relationship can come close. And part of the reason that God is so down on divorce, and why God intends for you to have a great relationship as this is because He knows what you are missing out on if you're in a marriage and you're not experiencing the fullness of that marriage. Now here's the thing I love about this. When you think about those characteristics of love that I listed there, when you think about the fact that love is personal and protective, When you think about the fact that love is powerful and possessive, that love is passionate and persistent, and that love that lasts is priceless, what you come away with is realizing that that is exactly the kind of love that God has for us. And today, whether you are in a marriage relationship, you're thinking about getting married, you're a teenager that's wondering about what marriage will be like you're somebody that's been in marriage before and now you're out of marriage for whatever reason. The truth is that no matter where else in life you might try to find love. That we have a heavenly Father that loves us personally. It tells us in Scripture that He is a God that knows the number of hairs on our head. He is a God that that knows every detail of your life. He loves you personally. Not only that, we have a God that loves us, not only personally, but protectively. It tells us in Scripture that when we give our lives to Him, that He enwraps us in His hand and that no one can take us out of His hand. It tells us that He is working on us, and that He will continue working on us until the day of completion, till He comes again and takes us to be with Him. He is protecting us. His love is powerful. It was powerful enough to send His Son to the cross, but it is possessive, saying that once you give your life to Me, you are Mine. His love is passionate. The very word passion originally came to mean the week in which Christ gave His life. It is a passionate love, and it is persistent. It is a love that will not let you go. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, God's love for us is priceless. I don't know where you are in your marriage today. I don't know where you are in your relationship with the Lord, but I can tell you this. If you're looking to experience life like no other, then you must first give yourself to the Lord. And then you need to start living your life, loving your spouse like that.